0: Hi, my name's Hutton, and I'm a geoholic. Hello, geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elves' Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. Get ready, geoholics. Summer 2022 is here, and that means that there are some fantastic in-person geospatial events on the horizon. Early next month in San Diego, California, the Esri Users Conference is back. And later in the month in Williamsburg, Virginia, the Women's Surveyors Summit is also being hosted. If you are unfamiliar with these events, let me catch you up. The ESRI Users Conference has been the largest Geographic Information Systems, or GIS-focused conference, around the world since 1981, which for a fun fact, actually makes it two years older than I am. Concurrently, the conference offers more than 600 informative and educational GIS presentations per year. The conference boasts roughly 20,000 attendees annually, with 300 exhibitors, 275 technical workshops a hundred special interest group meetings, and a map gallery with nearly a thousand submissions from around the globe. Beyond the professional and educational aspects of the trade show, the event is just a ton of fun. The Gaslamp District in San Diego literally becomes a geospatial playground with floods of geoholics around you at any moment's notice. I should also mention, I'll be at the conference. Please swing by the Bad Elf booth and say hi. On the opposite side of the country in Virginia, the 2022 Women's Surveyors Summit is also being held. Originally started by the Texas Society of Professional Surveyors right before the COVID pandemic, the event has been both in-person and virtual. This year marks the third official meeting. The event's website states this conference is for women, by women, and will include continuing educational opportunities, networking, panel discussions, and seminar breakouts. Both events are open to the public and have official websites for signing up. So don't wait, you still have time to register and get your travel plans in order. If you needed an extra excuse to get out of the house this summer and expand your professional breadth, these are two fabulous opportunities. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friend. Pick me up, love, day. Pick me up love, every
1: day.
2: Such a happy song. Very groovy. Do you guys know the words? Are you gonna make me sing alone? Yes. Pick me up um, It's painful. From the bottom. You love it, Taylor. Taylor. Taylor.
3: You know, viewers have dropped ever since that started. (laughs) 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 Oh, man.
2: It is good to be alive. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for bearing with us this last week as we selfishly took a detour and uh, overindulged in some amazing Garrison Brothers bourbon. But uh, damn, that was a fun show.
4: It was amazing. And thanks again to Charlie, because the honeydew is going down just as good the next week. Uh, You know what? It gets better with age, as they say. Oh, it's only been a week, I eight, but wow. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be here next week. <laughs> i got to yeah. say,
2: I, I have, I've probably drank more Garrison Brothers bourbon over the last week than I ever have, so uh, I can confidently say it was a win-win.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's uh, holding back the time of age as well. <laughs> I think You're it does, yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: All right, so we've got a new patron we have to mention. A huge Geoholics thank you and group hug goes out to Jason Tommel, I believe is his name, T-O-M-M-E-L, from... I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Gansvort, New York. Do you know anything about that one, Connor?
3: No. Gans.
2: G- G-A-N-S-E-V-O-O-R-T. Gans- Gansvort? I'm going to have to look
3: that
4: up. But I do know that the high school uh, mascot is a worm. <laughs> it's a worm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the Gansvort worms. <laughs> yes. I just want to see the mascot as a worm doing the worm. Uh, down it's down the an midfield. unincorporated
3: community. <laughs> oh, it's, it's on. Oh, geez. He's, a, he's almost in Vermont at that point. Jeez! wow well c- congratulations on being w- on one of the most unpopulated but beautiful parts of the country i uh, need
2: to get there sometime the maybe, eastern part of new york maybe is maybe we should go there and physically deliver his uh geolics fan pack
3: yeah, I, I, what do you fly into albany i don't
4: know that's why
3: i have you yeah, yeah yeah cool
4: i'll find out <laughs> but, all right what about the guy from botswana when are we going there Oh, we are
3: fifteenth on the charts this week <laughs> We're for technology in podcast <laughs> in Botswana. Hey, up two spots. I know. I, I showed a <laughs> killing it. I told Spec recently. Goes he
4: goes. There's no way. I go. Yeah, there is. He goes. Wow. <laughs> he goes. Wow. <laughs> wow. He's like he's like blown away. <laughs> so fun. There's lots of beautiful things to see in Botswana. Oh, wow. Sponsored by the Botswana Tourism Industry. <laughs> Yeah. Free plug. Don't get used to it. Yes. All right. Intro to, the,
2: intro to this week's cast of characters, as you've already heard the voices. Uh, we've got Mr. Mark Taylor back with us this week. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me. I've it's seen you awesome. more in the last two weeks than I think I ever have.
4: I know. That bond is
2: just getting stronger.
4: It It is. Do you feel it? I do, but I've been told to curtail my <laughs> references of man crushing.
2: Let's move over to Connor. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Quickly moving. <Yes. laughs> Quickly
3: move on. yeah. Yep. Thanks What's, for being here, buddy. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's is, a good Should time. we
2: make an announcement right now? I think we
3: have uh, to. Ah, sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it is uncanny to me that now both of our producers have used the Geoholics podcast <laughs> to springboard themselves <laughs> into uh, in a whole nother universe as far as their career goes. So, producer Jake, you know, he was with us for gosh, two years, I think, mm-hmm. and had to leave to take on much more responsibilities at work because he got a huge promotion. And uh, Mr. COG is kind of doing the same thing.
4: I personally saw him knock on HR and ram the podcast down the HR director's throat and said, I need a promotion. I did happen to bring it up in my interview. They were asking,
3: like, what's one thing that... Did you really? Well, the last question that I had on my second round was... What's one thing that uh, is not on your resume that mm. we should know about? And I said two <laughs> things, and the I guy I oh, "There's two That's things."
4: Awesome. And then <laughs> My DUI and yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I don't got one of those. Um, but no, I was like, I was like, yeah, I run a podcast." And then the guy was like, "Wait, what?" And had a bazillion questions for That's me. So awesome! Oh, I say co-host. I shouldn't say I run. That's awesome.
2: That's awesome. But on the on a positive note, Connor is going to stay with the show. Yes, he's going to help out with. Uh, Co-producing and editing, and uh, be our basically our chief financial advisor because things are happening. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. So hates team go physically, but he's still going to be with us in spirit. Oh,
3: I'm, I'm. You're not getting rid of me that easy. Heck
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> nor nor do, nor do I want to. I mean, uh, who's going to do these shitty reads? Yeah. <laughs>
3: who brings the comic relief oh you guys are really gonna miss me on these music reads i'm gonna have to you're gonna have to send it to me i'm gonna have no looks at it and have to just edit my voice in i
4: know yes Yes, but you are the cog that holds us together exactly exactly he
2: is the cog. all right with that tell us about that opening number
3: the cog is gonna read Mm -hmm. uh it's so it's dave Matthews. (laughs) it's dave matthew's band every day uh, Dave Matthews band is an American rock band formed in Charlottesville Virginia in 1991 the band's founding members were singer-songwriter guitarist Dave Matthews bassist Stefan Lazard drummer and back backing vocalist Carter Beaufort and that's uh that's beau right Beaufort I would
2: say? assume so I think you're correct yeah. on that
3: violinist and backing <laughs> vocalist uh, Boyd Tensley and saxophonist Leroy Moore as of 2018 the band has sold more than two 25 million concert tickets, and a combined total of 38 million CDs and DVDs. Their 2018 album, Come Tomorrow, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, making DMB the first band to have seen seven consecutive studio albums debut at the peak. Wow.
2: That's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. But I do have to tell... I I do like Dave Matthews. Not a huge fan, but there's a lot of the music that I do Mm -hmm. like. And I liked him a lot more up until August 8th, 2004. Do you know what happened on that day? (laughs) I'm not going there. So (laughs) on August 8th, 2004, over the Kinsey Street Bridge in Chicago, my Mm -hmm. hometown, a tour bus belonging to none other than the Dave Matthews Band dumped an estimated 800 pounds of human waste From the bus's septic tank onto passenger sightseeing boat below the bridge.
4: You guys should see Kent's face. It is violently angry right now.
2: Could you imagine being on that boat? That's ridiculous. 800 pounds of human waste dumped onto the
4: tour boat. I want to know how it fit in the tour bus in the first place.
2: I don't know. That's an awful lot of poop. It really is. But the funny thing is that incident led to more than $300,000 in settlements. There was wow. a bunch um, of lawsuits Only 300,000? 300, 300,000, yeah. Yeah, I would have um,
4: hoped for a lot someone, more. If someone
3: dump, put, puts dump on me, I'd be so angry.
4: Dump. <laughs> <But> Pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It might've been the sword. No, that was 2004. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So many directions to go with that one, yeah. but uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Dimeback Lancer Ring studio. Great to be back. A little different look with all the leftover bourbon from last week. I think it, it's a nice, it's visually nice. It is. Visually it's nice. Exactly. I'll post a picture. It's pretty cool. Um, so by the way, if anyone listening is ever in Arizona for any reason, let us know and we'll give you a personal tour of the studio.
4: All 12 by 12?
2: It'd take five seconds, but <laughs> yeah, bit you're best welcome. five seconds. because <laughs> we, five seconds of your life.
4: <laughs> yes, because we've had, wait a minute, that was my first child. Um, no, Um Because we have, we'll have Garrison <laughs> Brothers bourbon on hand.
2: Absolutely. There's always beer in the fridge, so we'd love yeah. to I uh, I wonder, if, I wonder if we can
3: get him on as a friend of the podcast. I'm just saying. Ooh.
2: Ooh I like <laughs> where your head's at there, yeah. Connor. Yeah. All right, shout out to this week's highlighted friend of the program, Mark it, Taylor.
4: Who do you got? We got Carlson Software, and for those of you who have no idea who they are, you and are in the geomatics space, you've pretty much been uh, uh, under a rock because they've Definitely. been around since eighty-three. They produce software and hardware solutions for land surveying, civil engineering, GIS, and the construction industry. One of the things that separates Carlson is their unique approach, providing geomatic professionals with extremely powerful but affordable and independent technology options with the best free unlimited tech support in the industry. Their mission is to be the premier independent developer of land surveying, civil engineer, construction, and mining technology products. The hint is obviously for the companies that sound like Bimble and Opcom, Mm. clearly. Um, But for those of you who want to check them out, please go to CarlsonSW.com. That's CarlsonSW.com. And mention to them that you heard from us, and they'll take good care of you. Absolutely. There's there's some uh,
2: some VIP treatments to Geoholics listeners. Oh. and There's actually a Carlson VIP lounge. Really? Yeah. Where? I've been there. Where? Uh, Maysville, Kentucky. Oh. Yeah. Is that near Buffalo Trace? Uh, it might be. Maybe we should make a trip. We should. Oh, Look we at should it. do a podcast. Everything, is, everything surrounds bourbon all of a sudden. We get Charlie Garrison on and all we think about is bourbon. Well, yeah it's
4: there's a lot of other things we could we could talk about but we'll stick with bourbon stick <laughs> remember we had a talk before <laughs> yeah all right moving oh,
2: on time for liquid death's weekly words of wisdom so if you haven't tried liquid death i'm going to hold this up to the camera like our listeners can see it but liquid death is a mountain spring water uh, they have both what do they have the carbonated or no what are they, what do you call still? it still sparkling water sparkling, sparkling yeah. and i got to tell you drinking ice cold water out of a can there's yep. something about it
4: it's very refreshing,
2: incredibly refreshing.
3: I'm not joking. It's when I was on here a couple of weeks ago plugging them. Like it wasn't a shameless plug. It was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I liked it that much. It was a plug plug. Yeah. It was a plug plug. So I gave my wife <laughs> the one
4: from uh, last week, and then she goes to Albertsons, and it's right there, mm-hmm. and she just grabs a pack. Yeah, I go. I want some white. I, I'm not a fan of sparkling. She goes, get your own. Fine, I was like Ten. uh We
2: knew words the pants in that family. Mm-hmm. I don't have any pants. She took them away. You know what? I set them up every time. This is on me. This is it's, not a his it's a softball. It's a softball.
3: It's a sign with Mark Taylor. It's like pitch and slow pitch softball. He just you throw it up and he just oh, crushes it every God. time. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta
2: reprimand myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Connor. What do you got this week?
3: Oh, for the weekly. Uh, weekly words (laughs) of wisdom. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm just laughing over here still. So, um, are you
4: gonna quote Thoreau? What? Are you really gonna quote Thoreau? Yeah, I don't know what you're.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm -mm -mm. go for it. All right. What you get by achieving your goal is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Mm. Who's that? Thoreau.
4: Yeah, Henry David Thoreau. Mm. Who is Mm. that? Yes, a very important person who has great wisdom that has been passed down Mark, through the you, eos.
2: you seem like you're getting tense. You're grabbing the table hard. What's going on?
4: I'm not, I'm not. Do you I'm not
2: like, like Henry David throw? I do. I love him. Oh,
4: okay, yeah. okay. I was just waiting for him to butcher it. No, you nailed it. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, if you hadn't said it previously, he I probably would have not done so good. But uh, <laughs> you helped him out there. The
3: assist. Uh, I would have. I would have probably tried to Tiberio or Tiberio <laughs> or Tappetimello.
2: <laughs> all right, let's get on with this. Our guest this evening is Travis Bohan. He's a professional land surveyor, born in Chico, California, and grew up in the Central Valley. Uh, item of note, my fresh new uh, future son-in-law
4: went to school in uh, Chico. A party state of all universities.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, his grandparents got a place up there, absolutely beautiful. He, uh, Travis attended Merced Community College and then Fresno State, home of the...
3: Oh, Fresno State Bulldogs.
2: Bulldogs, bingo, where he received a degree in civil and geomatics engineering. When he's not practicing to be the best land surveyor ever, he is an avid outdoorsman, golfer, (coughs) excuse me, and gearhead. You guys have that in common. You're kind Mm. of a gearhead. I am, yes. Uh, He's currently a survey manager at Mark Thomas. Travis is also very involved with CLSA and On the advisory and is an advisory council member to the Fresno State Geomatics Engineering Program. Travis, welcome to Geoholics. Thanks for being here.
5: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's exciting.
2: It really is. So we met. at the Western Region Surveyors Conference, right in, in Las yeah, Vegas, right, that was Vegas. cool. We got to chat just a little bit, and I'm like, "Oh man, this guy's this guy's got some uh, some good knowledge and some some good wisdom and some experience that I think would be great for a uh, a geohawks podcast." So that's why we're here. And again, we appreciate your time.
5: Dude, I can't believe I was able to get all that across to you in a couple of minutes, but I appreciate it. That's awesome.
2: It must be the way you carried yourself. Just very professional. Uh, you know, a lot of confidence. Even the way
4: you said, "Dude,"
2: good-looking guy. Kind of looks a little bit like Tom Cruise. He does. Yeah, He's
4: I, definitely, definitely like Tom Cruise. I've heard that before. Little Tom, Tom Cruise. That's why we're married. Are You gonna stand oh. up and do a twelve? <laughs> Come on, Travis. Stand up and do a twelve. <laughs>
2: He's not gonna do a twirl, Mark. Oh, not happen. I'm good. I'm good.
3: Mark, Mark, badgering our, our guests is so, not approved.
2: <laughs> so quick uh, icebreaker. Um and I'm gonna have I'm gonna let Travis go last. Okay? okay. What is not your biggest, but one of your biggest pet peeves? Me? Yeah, go first. Uh people saying they'll
4: do something and then not doing it. Love it, love it.
2: Mm. Connor, you got something?
4: Yeah, probably hypocrites.
2: Ooh. Uh is that the same thing as what you just said? No. No, no. that's saying one thing and doing the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. Um, mine would probably be people that put ketchup on hot dogs. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I can't stand it. Why do people no. put ketchup on hot dogs? It's it's never better. understand it. How about you, Travis? What you got?
5: Um, I'm, I'm right up there with Mark about people who uh, don't do what they say they're going to do, but I will also say uh, people that interrupt other people. That really bugs me. Like, uh I, I hate being interrupted, so when I hear other people do it, it really drives me nuts. It's like, let them finish their sentence, and then you can
4: talk. Kind of like this?
3: <laughs>
5: I knew you were going to do it like that.
3: I hate everything about Mark Taylor, but I love him.
2: <laughs> so like note to self... We now know. Sure. Yes. Okay. We now I love know
5: it. <laughs> oh no! Sorry, that wasn't a subtle hint. I was just. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh man, that
0: sounds. He's listening.
2: To, he's listened to previous shows, obviously. Yeah. We're, we're complete assholes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No,
5: not at
2: all. Oh, man. That bugs me. So tell us about uh, Mark Thomas. I don't know a bunch about the uh, company. I was gonna say tell oh, us yeah. about Mark Taylor, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, we it's know too much Facebook. about Mark Taylor.
5: <laughs> you guys probably know way more about Mark Taylor than I ever will. Yeah, and, uh, it's probably good. That Um, No, but, uh, so Mark Thomas, we're a transportation engineering and surveying company, um, that's kind of our bread and butter. Um, we do a lot of Caltrans design work. We also do a lot of public works projects for streets and roads. That's really our, our big thing from the survey side. We kind of joke that we do anything with a station and offset, right? So Mm. utilities pipelines, uh, roads, obviously. Right. So that's kind of where we, we find our niche.
2: So you guys, obviously, just like you just mentioned, a lot of uh, corridor type work.
5: That's right. Yeah. And one of the things that we're actually particularly known for is the right-of-way engineering portion of it. So yeah. not just, you know, you know, we kind of, I joke, that we kind of do topo boundary. That's really what we do. We don't do a lot of construction work. Mm-hmm. We do on occasion on, the, on our projects, on um, projects that make sense. But really what we do is the right-of-way and the, the right-of-way closeout stuff is really a big portion of what we do. And that's the, that's the stuff that we enjoy you know, the boundary surveys to make right-of-way transfers happen for, you know, widenings or new roads or whatever that may be.
2: Yep. Yep. So those are, I'm assuming, like, like state and federal type, on-call type contracts that you do a lot of?
5: Yeah. So we actually work for a lot for transportation agencies. So mm. in California, uh, forgive me, I don't know a lot about Arizona, but uh, you guys will educate me. But in California, a lot of times what happens is we'll have a transportation agency or what we call a sponsoring agency. It doesn't have to be a transportation agency that's a conglomerate. It could be uh, just a city that wants to sponsor a project. And so a lot of times they'll do, hey, we want to do an expansion to Caltrans right away um, and their facilities because we have a you know bottleneck within our territory. So they'll put together the funding package in order to be able to acquire all that right away, do the improvements, and then transfer it back over to Caltrans and say, here you go, guys, this is your project, or this is now on your system. You guys can maintain it. So there's a lot of agreements that go back and forth between the gut, the sponsoring agency and Caltrans to make sure that they have uh, an you know, agreement on who's going to take what, how that's going to happen, the transfer, who's going to be responsible for what sometimes funding, you know, and mm-hmm. then the right of way transfer, we acquire it typically for the agency. Um, and then the agency does what we call clearing all the encumbrances, right? So mm-hmm. upon all your P- your PTRs and all that stuff and making sure that all the easements that are within the area that's going to transfer to Caltrans, it gets cleared. Um, Caltrans typically, for their freeways especially, really like to have everything in feet and clear of any encumbrances. Um, so a lot of what we deal with is utility crossings. That's a big, big portion of it. And their specialty <coughs> agreements and stuff, that go along with that. But sorry, not, not to get too deep down the rabbit hole with that.
4: No, I, I, I find it fascinating because um, with the heavy amount of congestion and the amount of freeways, there's not a lot of right-of-way clearances either side. You're going into a steep berm up a hill or you're crossing into a a property area which has got meets and bounds and easement issues. I mean, is there a lot of that work or is it becoming more and more out into more urban areas where you can get the typical urban sprawl?
5: Yeah. So in California, there's a lot of the urban work. And then there's also, there's still some of the connector freeways that have, you know, farmland and stuff in between. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the stuff that, that I've been working on lately is stuff that are in the urban areas. Um, where they're doing larger interchanges because the, there's congestion between two major freeways. Um, and it is a lot of thread in the needle, honestly. Like there's a lot of I that bet. that goes on from an engineering standpoint. So um, so we're ta- a lot of times in those urban areas, we're talking about taking slivers of right away as opposed to like giant chunks, you know. Like, right, that's, right.
2: That's, in- that's interesting. Are you guys, have you gotten a piece of that, uh, like the high-speed rail at all?
5: We, uh, yes, we did work on some of the high-speed rail work. Yep. That was uh, that was a big project for California, um, so we worked on a portion of it through the Central Valley, um, which is the only portion that's built at this point. But oh well, yeah, that was a lot of the same same type of process. Um, what you find is a lot of the folks that work at high speed rail uh, had some experience at a different agency that was very very large as well um, that dealt with highways, if you know what I mean. So a lot of the processes were very similar in that
2: regard. So, so using that high speed rail as an example, like how. How long was that project? Like, how long was the corridor for that?
5: Oh, geez. Uh, now you're quizzing me. Uh, it was a, a very long corridor. The section that ended up getting built, oh gosh, I wish I thought to look. I mean, is, is it
2: like thing. 10 miles or is it 100 miles? Like, what? what? Oh,
5: no. Yeah, it was hundreds of miles. Yeah, hundreds was, of miles. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. It was, it was a really long project. And uh, to understand, like, it's not, the entire thing's not built. Um, Their entire thing wasn't acquired even. A lot of the work went into that. The problem was that um, every time you turn around, the state legislature was saying, "Oh, we need more, we need more, we need more," and so the project basically kind of got stopped at that point. So,
2: I just can't imagine being part of a project of that magnitude. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. That's huge. I mean, there's so many dynamics and variables. You know, I mean, you mentioned utilities a little bit earlier. So, there's got to be a shit ton of like subsurface utility engineering that goes. Is that something you guys do, or is that something like you would subcontract out for that?
5: yeah so we um we do utility coordination in-house for our engineers oh, they thanks. do a lot of the utility coordination stuff is re- when it comes to roadways there'll be projects that we re-partner with another transportation firm where they're doing like the actual roadway design but we're doing the utility coordination portion of that um we have some folks in-house that are like specialized in that in a major way so we definitely do a lot of that work from like um you know, are you talking about utility locating because we don't do that in-house we mm-hmm. have that out. We have several utility gotcha sorry locate uh, detect whatever the, the term we want to use today, but uh, where they go and, you know, use their, their uh, magic wands to try to find where the utilities are, their TPR or whatever they're using. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we subcontract some of that work out as well. And that's cool. a big part of it as well.
2: Um, so like, like, you know, I can't even fathom uh, working on a project. That's a couple hundred miles long. What are some of the inherent okay. challenges with something like that?
5: Well, one of the big ones that we run into a big, like, so high-speed rail is a good example of this. Um, you're, you know, uh, typically speaking for a large transportation projects, we do everything in grid, right? We do it in state mm. plane coordinates. Okay. So the crossings of the, the crossings of the zones is a big, big issue. So having the control laid out that, that hangs together um, throughout that entire project, and then also having those transition points, that can be, that could be a challenge. Um, the, the tracking of it is a big portion of it. A lot of, a lot of times when it comes down in my experience, um, a lot of it comes down to, um, sort of the, I don't wanna say the tail wagging the dog, but tracking what's going on is more important sometimes than actually what, what mm. the item is, if that makes sense, but tracking it and making sure that it's gone through the process is oftentimes more important than actually what gets transferred or how much, or if that makes sense. So a lot of it is driven by that is tracking it and making sure that, okay. Did we get all the, you know, walk through all the different steps here? Um, the appraisal process, it can be a real challenge, especially for something like high-speed rail, where it's a little bit contentious um, for some areas. So um, the appraisal process can be a big challenge. Uh, you know, that's where we were. you know, as surveyors we are we show them where it is on the ground, right? Hey, here's the rights that are on the ground, or here's the rights that we're trying to acquire on the ground and where um, the appraisers have to go in and, you know, work the right-of-way agents have to go in and work with the, the the actual uh, owners and get all that sort of, I can't even imagine doing that portion of it. That's um, especially on a contentious project. That can be really a, really, I mean, obviously the goal is to have a project that's not contentious. I mean, that's the the ultimate goal, but um, that doesn't always happen.
2: Yeah. Um, So you mentioned, you know, you collect everything on grid, makes perfect sense. And I can say like in Arizona, for example, at least in the areas that I work in, grid and ground, not a huge, huge difference. I have to believe in some of the areas that you're talking about, there is a substantial difference and that in itself could create some challenges.
5: Yeah, for sure. So it wasn't as big a deal on some of the, the projects in the central Valley, but again, being so large, right? So, you know, across 200 feet, you're talking about very small amounts, right? right? Hundreds of a foot, but across thousands and thousands of feet, now you're talking about bigger discrepancies as well. So that's definitely something that we have to pay attention to. Um, at You know, there there are tons of horror stories about people scaling things and trying to do stuff in pseudo grid and all this other stuff. So you definitely have to know where you're going with that, understand where it has, um, again, Caltrans when we work on those types of projects, they have a process of like, Hey, you need to go through your primary control and then your supplemental control. We do a lot of aerial projects where we have them. We go down and set all the aerial panels and put that all on grid control. So that that way they can come through and map it. Um, and the engineers use that mapping for their, their preliminary design. Um, so yeah, that the grid, the grid to ground thing can be a really big deal. Um, we try to make sure that it's not, but yeah, if you're not paying attention, it for sure can be a problem.
2: So on that same note, and I hate to like keep beating on this whole grid to ground thing, but, no, no. um, so on a project of that, that magnitude or that length, is there like, this might be a really dumb question, but I've never worked on a project like that. Is there one scale factor for the entire project or are there like multiple scale factors? How, do, how does that work?
5: Yeah. So the short answer is yes, uh, there are multiple scale factors, right? Any given point on the grid has its own scale factor, depending on the size of the project area that you're working in, because of a large project like that, they would break it off in chunks. That's how they did it. They broke it off in chunks. You guys have the right of way for this portion. Mm-hmm. And even if we ended up doing another chunk along the, you know, another portion of the project, they would break it into pieces. Right. And so yes, the scale factor will vary across the project. You know, in California, our, our, in the Central Valley and even in the valley areas here in the Bay Area where okay. I, I do a lot of my work, um, the, like you say, the grid to ground is very small, you know, four nines and a whatever, right? That right. kind of thing. So so it's it's fairly small, but like you say, over big distances, it can start being a problem. Um, but they, you'll have a scale factor for an area. You'll have a scale factor for an individual point. Um, and best practice is just to do everything in grid. Don't try to go back and forth, especially right. from a transportation standpoint. Yeah. Don't don't play with
2: that. That's good stuff. Did you say I almost interrupted him there? That was almost bad. <laughs> I <know he> was. <laughs> that was almost really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like it's like it's like he almost gotta be damn near a geodesist like Mark Taylor in order to do this kind of stuff.
4: <laughs> uh, He's trying to behave over here You're so full of He's it He's
2: selecting yeah. his words wisely right
4: now uh, <laughs> Yes, it's causing a brain cramp I think I have a migraine
3: April's going to be listening to Nengo mm. oh, hmm. mm. He can finally control himself <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
4: boarding school <laughs> Far too many years um, So I have a A, a novice question as a, a Practicing drone pilot on television Um <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, because I suffer from this, um, it's a a malignant problem, but I keep showing up to job sites, and there are multiple different localizations for the same job site, and I'm always preaching, and as Kent has taught me, always use state plane. You guys, I know, are talking about state plane grid, but when when the guys are actually working on that particular segment, are they then localizing it, and does that then cause a translation problem for the project and missing curbs and not quite lining up.
5: So, yeah, it, I mean, the short answer is what construction project doesn't have a little bit of field fit in it, right? I mean, right. It's, there's there's going to be some of that, but the reality, I had a contractor tell me one time on it, a long time ago when I was first starting out, I was in the field and I said, hey man, this doesn't look like this line is going to line up. You know, that somebody had staked it from the outside and we were staking it from the inside and um, he said, man, whoever gets that first, well, that's, that's <laughs> who governs. But, in all honestly, yeah, there is, um, you know, when you when you start localizing it down to a particular area, um, again, sorry, I hate to keep harping. Caltrans has a very specific set of standards on mm-hmm. um, how to do localizations or, or what um, Trimble folks call uh, site calibrations and things yeah. like that. Right. They have a specific way of doing that, um, such that they, it's supposed to minimize that type of thing, enveloping the area with the control, all that, right, all that different stuff. That makes yeah, a difference. That is a, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's
2: great that I mean, well, like in your case, Mark. I mean, and and I know you deal with this all the time. That you have these projects, you fly these projects, and there's like one set of data, and then there's you know the scaled set of data, and then there's this translation and that, and it is so frustrating, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. frustrating. And we we had a whole podcast about that.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we won't won't yeah. do that. But I was interested to hear the standards that Caltrans have. Maybe they could come over here
2: well that's just it I mean I, I mean uh, Caltrans it sounds like they got their shit figured out for the most part and it's like you know not California but Caltrans right I got you yeah, yeah. yeah. California definitely doesn't have their shit figured out uh, I think Travis yeah, has got
4: their shit figured out Travis has got his shit figured out there's <laughs> no, no doubt I he, try yeah I try yeah. sounds like he's got Caltrans sorted out yes yeah. he does
2: he's like, Maybe you should do some consulting for some surveyors over here in Arizona I think <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah they um, Caltrans has a very some of their some of their standards are a little bit, um, I don't want to say they're outdated. They're a little bit traditional for what some of the capabilities of the survey equipment these days. Um, you know, I'm constantly amazed, you know, when we get the new stuff and our guys upgrade and it's like, holy crap, how, how do, how are we able to do it this? Well, this, you know what I mean? Like, it's, right. it's constantly amazing. Um, what I tell, what I tell clients, right. Cause everybody asks about, well, how accurate is GPS and stuff like that. What I tell them is, well, it's when it's great, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And when it's not, it's a mess. It's a real big.
2: That's a great mess. answer. So,
5: yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like
2: that. Great answer. and We were talking before the show that on, on some of these, you know, projects that you're working on, you're using uh, other technologies as well, like mobile lidar and things of that nature. Yes. Um, talk about a, you know, like a really cool project that you've been able to 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 use that stuff on.
5: Yeah. So we had this awesome project that I worked on in Santa Cruz. Actually, Santa Cruz area. We were doing a highway project. Um, and, uh, this very near and dear to my heart, we, we scanned it three times. Actually, we did a mobile scan, mm-hmm. we had a sub consultant come in. We set all the different control, um, again, to Caltrans spec. They have a very specific, like, Hey, you gotta be every 500 feet, mm-hmm. um, 1500 feet for horizontal and vertical every 500 feet for vertical. We did the mobile scan across the, um, across the highway. It was a very interesting, unique project where they said, Hey, uh, we want to get started on design, but we know we have this maintenance project that's going to happen where we're going to add a two-tenth lift to the pavement right wow. and so mm. our engineers were like well why don't we just wait and <laughs> put the lift on well we don't have that kind of time we got to get going yeah you know funding restraints and requirements and all that mm. kind of stuff so we ended up scanning it three different times to check on the different conforms of the pavement it was really it was a neat project so we scanned the entire corridor um, developed the pavement elevations and grades from that we extracted a lot of features walls you know um, all the uh structural features, the overpasses and things like that. Um and then we also did we also did our own lidar checks on it. So we set our our um sorry we used to call it terrestrial uh, right. stationary static lidar, right? Static lidar static yep. terrestrial lidar we set our LIDAR unit up on and also checked the pavement as well to make sure that we had good conforms with um with the mobile data as well. Great projects ran levels up and down the freeway until we were blue in the face. Um, just really, really good good project. Um, And we were also one of the cool byproducts of that as well with the mobile scanning, which is really cool. Our landscape architecture group came back and said, hey, you know, we have to do this entire tree removal Mm. um, plan and and mitigation and all this other stuff. Um, We really need to see where the trees are. Well, right, you guys can relate that what is the most hated survey in the entire world, for, for, for especially for field guys, tree oh. surveys, right? Mm-hmm. And so we said, well, let's open up our LiDAR scan and see how much of the tree coverage that we got all on the edges of the freeway and see if we can extract some that. And sure I mean, it was great, it was awesome. We pulled it open, we had our technician go through and he was able to get trunk sizes, even drip some drip sizes, not, not a ton, but um, he was able to get trunk sizes and locations based on that. And we were able to transfer that data over to Landscape Architecture Group as well. So that was kind of a really cool um, and then the other the other product too was um, clearances, right? For our guys, with transportation project right. clearances is a big deal, and everybody thinks of overpasses, right? You see the sign at the top, thirteen whatever feet, you know yeah. that kind of thing. But um, utility overcrossings as well. Right. So all the wires hanging down, and so we were able to pull some of that stuff out of the scan as well, like uh, the wire crossings, and and be able to tell the engineers like, hey, not only this is where the wire is and it's sag, because that's a big problem. Those are another painful survey to do in the field, right? When you're doing the wire surveys yep. and the things are flopping around because the wind is blowing and all this other stuff. And so man, run the LIDAR unit across that thing and you can pull that data out, tell them where it is to the existing pavement, and then they can also get an estimation of what the current is going to be when they add that lift in the in the pavement section as well. So it was a it was a really cool project.
3: Hey for for a non surveyor person, can you please explain to me why a tree survey is terrible and what a tree survey is? <laughs>
4: They go up and interview a tree and go, how long have you been here, Mr. Elm? (laughs) So
5: on a lot of projects, like uh, freeway projects, um, they'll have an arborist go through and tag all the trees that are going to get, and they'll study until they'll talk about the size and the type and all that stuff. And then um, as part of the environmental process, they'll say, hey, we need to remove so many trees so we can widen the freeway or so we can put in a facility, whatever it is. Well, when surveyors have to go do trees, um, you can't use GPS typically because the trees cover the sky, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to use your total station. So that means you have to set up on a control point and backside another one and start looking at all these trees, which means you have to traverse a lot. You have to move your instrument a lot because you can't see through the tree cover, right? You can see, oh, I can see the five trunks that are in front of me, but I can't see the 20 that are behind it, right? Behind those five. So you're constantly moving. You're constantly setting up. You're always having, and then you everything's an mm. offset that's the other thing too is that you can't shoot the center of a tree you can't put your rod on it right so you have to set it next to it and measure an offset over to it estimate the trunk there's just a lot of lot that goes into it,
4: it sounds so, like he's
2: whining and most of the time you cannot put enough money into the project to actually make money yeah. that's the biggest problem right.
5: that's yeah. the biggest problem it takes so much time it, it does and then it's like doing as California, bills <laughs> In California like it, when you're doing tree surveys invariably that means you're hiking through poison oak right yeah, there's that horrible factor. it is, that's terrible so there's there's a lot of things yeah. going in every time i have to call the guys and say hey tree surveys they roll their eyes like, oh please no. yeah yeah
3: have you ever pulled chain through uh poison poison oak or poison ivy
2: uh pulled chain uh it's i've traversed i've traversed through poison ivy before yeah, yeah. Yeah, he always says he pulls chains. So I'm like, all right,
4: cool. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. chain yeah. And level. He's old school. So,
2: so yeah. Travis, I do have one other question. Like on these, uh, yeah. like these larger uh, mobile lidar projects. First mm-hmm. of all, I mean, there's error that has to be adjusted. I'm sure over God, I mean, hundreds of miles or whatever. I mean, I can't even yeah. imagine how, what that looks like. My head doesn't think that way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, these like these data sets have to be freaking huge. How yes. do you manage that? like how does how do you manage that for the end user? I mean, how how' walk us through that just a little bit.
5: yeah, so our our procedure is to use the data sets and extract features from it. Mm-hmm. So what I'm turning over to my engineers is oh, not sixty four gigabytes worth of data, right? What I'm turning over to my engineers is features that we have pulled from that data set and then built into like a surface or into um, you know three dimensional figures inside of a CAD file. That's what that's how it happens. So, the way that we manage that data set is we break it into chunks. Right. And that's, you know, we have, uh, the common term is Tiles, Tiling. right. They'll break it into lidar tiles. And so you'll have tiles that are rec- reconciled. And so the way that they, um, the way that they reconcile the tiles or just the, the data over that particular project was over several miles. It was like a five mile project. It wasn't hundreds of miles, but, um, the way they'll do it is they'll break it up, but they'll also because of overcrossings and everything else, you know, the, The GPS is what's controlling their location, their position, and and they have a relationship that they've measured very accurately between their sensor and the GPS, right? So they know where that sensor is. That tells them where the data set comes from. But when they lose lock with GPS, then what they typically do is they will rely on an IMU, right, which is um, accelerometer. And then IMU will sort of, for lack of a better term, fill in the gaps, right? They'll fill in the gaps between, hey, GPS lock, GPS lock. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't know that um, accelerometers actually are what we use to get to the moon, right? That's what they used in the space program in the, in the 60s was because they didn't have, you know, GPS. And of course, there's no GPS around the moon, right? But they use accelerometers to now when they're going to the moon, they're like, you know, going hundreds of thousands of miles and it's no big deal. They're not going to crash into anything when we're trying to get accurate data so we can develop payment profiles. We have to have a very fine IMU. And invariably, the difficulties with IMUs is that they, they have what they call a drift. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, because for all you math nerds out there, uh, you're integrating several times to get from acceleration d- to position. And so after a while, you get some drift into it. And that's why they can only use it for short periods of time. And that's why also accelerometers are really, they're worth their weight in gold if they're good because they help that data set a lot um, for those times when we have GPS gap.
4: As someone that's looking at a mobile lidar and one on an aircraft, what um, what are you using, and how many uh, parts per square meter are you getting through your data set? Because it sounds like you want a very very dense point cloud. Yeah. Um, so, what are you in the Leica ecosystem, or YellowScan, or what, what is your favorite?
5: Um, so we're a Trimble shop. Oh, um, Trimble. We don't have a unit in house. Mm-hmm. Um, we've definitely we've definitely been approached by getting one. Um, several yes. times. Um, we typically sub consult that out. Um, yeah, the advantage of having a mobile system as opposed to an aerial system is that you get way more densification, Of course, right? The closer so you to get surface. you get Yeah, exactly. You get 1000s of points per inch versus like, you know, hundreds of points per meter, right? So that's the advantage um, of having the mobile system. Now there are disadvantages as well, right? Because you're closer, you can only same as a total station, right? You can only see as far as you can see. And so, with an aerial system, that's where the advantage becomes that you can broaden that data collection out to a much further, much further larger area.
4: Yeah, uh, my thought was fly a standard swath with the drone, uh, you know, fifty feet over the utility lines, where possible, and then run a little UTV or a rover underneath with the same unit, and and, uh, then you you've got two seventy down and 270 up, and you create the entire bubble, and then you just cut out what you want. Um, The the units are now smart enough to cut out the dead space from the UTV, for example. Hmm. So having the aerial, when you're driving that path, the aerial fills in behind what uh, the unit on the UTV isn't able to calculate.
2: So that's interesting. here's, here's where my mind goes. Now would be a really good time for you to plug the extreme aerial production rental. fleet. You have oh, a rental yes. fleet.
4: I, uh, yes, but I don't, I don't have a lidar. I don't trust anybody with 150 grand's worth of equipment. Oh, I suppose that's a good idea. <laughs> yes.
2: So one thing I gotta go back to, I think I got screwed on this because something that oh. Travis mentioned is that there's no GPS on the moon, right?
4: No, there's an iMac. That's about it.
2: Okay. So I, uh, I actually bought producer Jake a 5 acre parcel of land on Mars <laughs> <laughs> from Starlight was it? And it and it had it had <laughs> coordinates. So are you telling me those coordinates aren't good on Mars? Uh,
4: uh, no.
2: There's no well, latitude and longitude uh, on uh, Mars?
4: No, on um, the
5: moon you said.
2: Yeah, I know I, I know, but oh. that just made me think about what I bought. I bought him 5 acres on Mars.
4: Oh, on Mars. I got a deed
5: well so presumably there's still a coordinate system on mars there's just no satellites to determine where you are in that coordinate system i actually had this so it's funny that you mentioned that i actually had this conversation with one of my professors when i was at fresno state dr nader god rest his soul he just passed last year but oh, yeah. Yeah. um he uh he and i had this discussion i thought wouldn't it be cool to like do a project where you set up a coordinate system like latitude and longitude basically on the moon or on mars or something like that on a and he's like, yeah, man, stick to something a little more. simple." So. <laughs> he's like, that's, that's a really great idea. That's really cool, but stick to something simple. And I was like,
4: oh, I Yeah. My, yeah son, my, my son has a robotics firm. I'll give him a shameless plug called Revolute, And his partner was involved in the Mars Rover program, mm. creating a way for the Mars Rover to communicate with itself and navigate in a completely GPS-denied environment and to always be able to find where it's going and where it's come from. And he created that software, obviously with a huge other team, but that's what his PhD thesis was. And they're putting it in their little rolling flying robot right now. It's pretty cool.
2: There is so much that's going to happen.
4: Oh, it's frightening.
2: I can't wait. I think Skynet's here, actually. Yeah. I just hope a lot of this cool stuff happens in my lifetime.
1: Yeah.
4: Mm. Yeah, I suppose. I got a few years left. (laughs) The way we're drinking, (laughs) probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No comment.
3: Oh
2: yeah. man! All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. I know that I know sure. education. You know, w- is something you're also very passionate about. I mean, talk about that yeah. just a little bit, and you know, kind of, kind of what motivates you on that side of things.
5: Yeah. So I, um, I was uh, so I might be called a little idealistic sometimes. Um, I came from Fresno State. So I, uh, you talked about my background a little bit. I came from junior college. I thought I was going to be a civil engineer. Um, I got to Fresno State and I took a surveying course and loved it thought, man, this is really cool. So I went into uh, my advisor and said, I want a minor in survey and geomatics. And they said, Well, there is no minor. I said, Well, I'll double major in it. Wow. And uh, Dr. Crossfield said, No, you won't. And I was like, don't tell me what I'll do. And so <laughs> um, so I, I ended up double majoring in it. And uh, I really came to love not just I love the community. I loved the camaraderie amongst our you know, we were a smaller program at Fresno mm-hmm. State. And um, you know and so i really enjoyed the camaraderie amongst the students and the professors were fantastic like they were really great give you you got a really great education from them um in surveying so those are all things that really touched me so when i got out um you know we do as president state is the oldest as far as i know is the oldest um serving education program in the country um i looked at the abed accreditation accreditation um today they've been accredited since 1979 continuously so that's that's pretty impressive. Um, and I just, I felt like a, a calling and I do this sometimes. My, my dad will tell me all, from time to time, don't let it consume you, whatever it is, don't let it consume you. Right. right. And so I sort of felt a calling to like, I need to help, you know, we need to get more students. I saw the writing on the wall, you know, we had small class sizes and things like that. I was like, man, we need more people in this program. We need to do more, um, you know, things get in the way, <laughs> life gets in the way, right. Jobs and wives and kids and all that. But um, I've tried to, Try to help out the program for a long time and help. Um, I focus on a lot on trying to help the students that are coming out of the program now. Um, before I tried to, you know, I used to try to do go to junior colleges and do, you know, I went back to Merced College and did a, a talk about what geomatics engineering was at, you know, Fresno State, how you could get into it, my physics class and stuff like that. Um, but I focus a lot now on like the students that are coming out. So we do a student conference at Fresno every year, typically in January. Um, COVID's kind of you know, made things bonkers, but um, hopefully they're going to get back to it this this upcoming year. It's a student-run conference, and one of the things that I like to do is I like to do a little talk to students about, like, um, interviewing, like interviewing techniques and things like that, about networking, because mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I found that was really both my experience at Fresno State at the conference and then also at um, CLSA or events like West Fed, where we met Kent, where, you, you know, you get to meet, meet such a rich you know, a uh, panel of people and you get to really glean from them, like understand and learn things. And uh, it was, it's, it's all about networking to me. So the, those are the types of things that I try to try to help emphasize. Um, we do support, I'm on the advisory council. Um, we started an effort um, in 2010 uh, where we partnered with CLSA to, to raise funds for an endowment for the university, um, specific, specifically for geomatics engineering. Um, we're still working on our goal, but you know, it's, uh, it's an ongoing process, but that was, that's something I'm really proud of that we, we got that off the ground. We got it going and we're, um, we're trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing towards maintaining that program at Fresno State. So, so,
3: so I'm, I'm always curious on what people mean by networking. I'm like, a. uh. uh always interested on people's take of networking because it's kind of like a take on culture. What's culture? Like, what is the definition of culture actually? So in your words, what is the art of networking and like what makes people successful in networking? I'm just curious.
5: Yeah. um, Well, I can give you the little plug I give to the students. Um, So networking to me is meeting new people and learning from them, not just meeting them, but learning from them. Right. Mm. So one of the things I will tell students is, um, you know, When you go to a conference or a professional event, right, whether it's like a local chapter meeting or whether it's a big conference for state, um, first off, don't sit together at the meal, at the dining thing. Go sit with somebody you don't know and meet them, right? Mm -hmm. And what what I try to impress upon them is these people are really friendly. (laughs) They want you to succeed, right? They want more surveyors, more geomatics engineers out in the world. So they're going to want to help you. They want to engage with you. So sit there and ask them some questions about themselves. People love to talk about themselves, right? And uh, and just learn some things, right? Like learn the, what's important to those people um, and store some of that knowledge away and then try to reconnect with them and then meet more people, right? That's And so sometimes all I'll tell students is like, if you're shy going up to meet somebody, take a, take a buddy, but no more than a buddy, right? Take a buddy and go, oh, hi, my name's Travis. This is, you know, Mark. You know, nice to meet you, Kent. Uh, you know, what do you do? Who do you work for? What kind of projects do you work on? Right? Um, and, and just listen and learn and, and soak it all in, you know, that's so that's networking to me. Um, that those are the things that I like to do. Um, and just and also make a personal connection too, because you never know. Like, like I said, I was surveying I'm sure it's been your guys experience, but surveying, people, there's the people are so friendly. I went to a national conference several years ago. And I met some folks from Minnesota, and we sat on the back patio and had adult beverages till you know wee hours of the night, and laughed, had a great time, and they were wonderful people. Like, and and there were so many common experiences, like, oh, don't you hate it when the grater runs over your steaks and all that <laughs> stuff, right? I mean, there was all that, all that common com- camaraderie there, you know. And that's and that to me, again, that was one of the things that really attracted to me to the profession when I first started. It was like, wow, these people, they care about each other, they they want to help each other, they want to be. Um, We want to see the next generation succeed.
4: So, So Travis, uh, as an outsider coming in, um, Mm -hmm. I know that the Geoholics, uh, I'm very proud to be with the team. Their passion is getting people excited about the industry. And, um, you know, there's so many distractions for people for a real trade and a real craft. Um, What would you say to anybody listening right now of why it's so cool to do what you do. What, what would you say to get them excited almost as a geoholics recruitment pitch, your elevator spiel, what would that be?
5: So surveying and geomatics is a combination of high technologies, amazing technologies that are emerging and, excuse me, emerging and constantly changing mm-hmm. um, together with um, historical records and uh you know, land rights, it's, it's an amazing, uh, two things you know, there's, there's so many fun things to do in my opinion, right. Whether you want to be outside working in the outdoors, whether you want to be searching through records and, and land title searches and that type of thing.
4: Hang on one Um, second. Sorry to interrupt, but (laughs)
5: land records. Way to go,
4: dickhead. Come on, boo. Boo. Um, No, go ahead, go ahead. It's not like you're going back to the Battle of Hastings or 1066 and dealing with English monarchy. You've got 205 years of, I can't say it, but, you know, we took the land from the real people. Um, So, you know, I'm having a bit of fun with it, but, I mean, are you really saying that you're going back to the Louisiana purchase contract and and entitlement issues and...
5: It depends on where you're coming from because here in California, we, you definitely might have um rancho estates. Most of the stuff now in the Bay Area, most of it's built out, right? So it's right. all based on original ranchos, but it's been built out and subdivided since. But there are areas where you might, yeah, you might actually come from the original rancho, like Spanish land grants. I mean, I'm wow. sure you guys deal with this rancho.
2: That's so interesting because, like, rancho, I've not heard that term in Arizona, but it's oh. something that's commonplace in. In from
4: California. California, yeah,
5: mm. yeah. Like
2: every state, state is different. Problem. That's why you have those state-specific exams. Yeah. Mm. What do,
5: so, what do you guys use for that term? Is it some, something similar?
4: Yeah.
2: Um. Well, I mean, we have a lot of mining claims here. We have a lot sure. of Indian reservation issues that we deal with. Yeah. Um. It might be just more, you know, terminology more than anything else. It's probably a lot of the same things that you deal with. It's just we look at it from a different perspective, I suppose. But what's the first issue the- you've ever had to go back, Ken? For this, I've gone back. Oh, from like GLO, right like the original, you know, section, yeah. like when the original survey was done. For sure, it's. I mean, and, it, and I love that side of things. No, no question. You like you get into that, and you look at the field notes that were done and stuff like that. There's so much to glean from that. It's incredible.
4: Oh, I'm um, again from an outset, Of course, are, are yeah. we talking? 1890s for or, sure yeah of course earlier yeah. than that
2: yeah i mean arizona is a pretty young state mm-hmm. um but california i'm I mean, not I, I don't know you know when california became a became a state unfortunately but um like what like the glo records for california what are the dates of those
5: yeah so most of the stuff that you'll see is around the 1870s 1880s okay. occasionally you'll see 1850s when in california i think it's 1856 oh, oh, something like that yeah wow. um, so yeah there's there's some really old land records um The other thing that I really enjoy about it is you get to see all these things come together and that's what's really fun. I get to take technology and use that technology to try to figure out where this old Rancho corner or section corner, more commonly section corner to be honest with you. But like where I, I get to try to find where that is and I get it and then I measure it really accurately and I get to see all that stuff come together and then I get to build a map off of it. And then, by the way, that map gets filed with the county and is there in forever, right?
4: Yep. Wow! And
5: got my name on it, right? So that that's the that's the cool, you know. There's a lot of talk around you know surveyors and leaving their legacy by leaving their maps and all that kind of stuff, right? And I I was uh, when I first got out of college and was doing mapping and stuff. It was it was really well impressed on me. Like you want to believe good maps, but you don't want to be the guy that did crappy maps. You want to be the guy that did good maps, right? Mm. And Did good surveys, and so that's um, that was impressed. But it's all those things that get to come together, and that's to me that stuff fun in it is. I, I really enjoy making um technologies or and i like things mechanical too right I'm, I'm a gearhead right so i like to i like to you know i work on cars and trucks and stuff and i like to see all that stuff come together and then you know turn the key so to speak and then, oh it came on right that's that's really exciting for me and surveying gives you that it gives you that a major way so,
4: so. basically if you like game of thrones you're into tech you drive a tesla and you know, that's pretty much it. You've covered all the genres. You should be a survey, right? I'm trying to try to boil it down. Oh my god, that is awesome.
3: Well, well I have <laughs> to I have to ask him this too, just for our, our friend Sean. It's like, oh god, what funny. made you go from engineering to survey? Because he's cool. Hold, hold, hey, let him answer, please. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay,
5: I'll, I'll give you. A, so the the introduction survey class was what really did it for me. I went outside. I'm turning angles. I'm hiking through the. So at Fresno State, we have this really great um, resource. We have, and they call it the experimental range, which sounds a little bit more sexy than it really is. But they have a piece of property, and it is really an experimental piece of property that's off campus up in the foothills. And what Dr. Crossfield did many, many years ago, is was a pretty pretty brilliant idea. He laid out mini townships. So he had 10th scale townships, 500 by 500, basically, right. Um, townships that we would go and we would survey the sections. So we would wrap angles between using the old theodolites, and we would, um, we would shoot distances with total stations, but we wouldn't pull chain, but we would level through all the different, you know, use all of our basic survey skills. And so it's like, wow, whoa, this is cool. I'm up in the mountains. I get to do, you know, surveying. This is really fun. You know, this is, and it's a, it's very heavy math based, right. Which I, I did well in math and, um, high school and college. So it was like, Oh, this is right in my alley. You know, this is, this is what I wanted to do. Hmm.
3: Interesting. So what you're saying is that it's probably a smart decision to go from civil engineering to to surveying. Is what is what I'm gathering out of that? Correct.
5: So I mean, would you do it if over you again? Want to talk about job market wise? It's absolutely a smart idea.
2: <laughs> don't don't tell Sean, but I am recruiting his engineers as we speak. Yes.
3: I cannot wait until this. I'm I'm going <laughs> to soundbite. I don't care if he even listened. That's the soundbite that I was looking for because it's going to show up in his office tomorrow with Travis saying that.
4: It's gonna be his ringtone. I cannot
3: wait. This guy gives me so much crap. So I, I think you just made my year. <laughs> let, let's face it, surveyors are just cooler than engineers.
5: Yeah, There's yeah, no doubt yeah. about well, it. I got no There's, horse. Yeah. There was definitely an aspect of that whereas yeah. like you go to a engineering conference and everybody's wearing a tie and a suit and everything else. Well, you look go to a surveyors conference.
2: Look at what we're there looking is. at right now. It's like I am kinda of like Brad Pitt. Travis <laughs> Travis is a Tom Tom Cruise. Cruise.
4: Mark is a fat whale. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Kung Fu Panda for Disney. Thank you. Brad
3: Pitt. Brad Pitt is what you came up with. Would would Megan agree with that?
4: Uh, Of course she would. would. She's on a thousand milligrams of lithium a day. She'll say bloody anything.
3: (laughs) I hope oh I hope God. your daughters are listening to this, oh, and they so have a good. comment about you looking like quote unquote Brad Pitt. Now don't let him fool you. Travis looks like Tom Cruise. Yes <laughs> wait <he does>. wait <laughs>
2: are you saying this is not Brad Pitt like right here?
4: Um, The tip of your nose. Yes. Wait,
5: why does my my nose look look so big? It's right here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's It's that big.
3: Yeah. You you have an earlobe, two eyes, and a nose and a mouth. Yes. So you look like Brad Pitt. You also look like (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) a A thumb.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Travis, I got to give you kudos about one thing real quick that I want to circle back on. So I love the idea that you go back and you, like, you know, a provide your expertise about like interviewing techniques and things like that, you know, to students. Yeah. Cause I'm like, this guy is fucking genius because what he's doing, he's getting the pick of the litter is what right. he's doing. He's yeah. like, he's offering the service, which I'm sure is amazing. Don't give it away. But he's also like, okay, that person, that, 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 that we're getting that, bad. That, that. Am I wrong?
5: Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Actually one of, <laughs> one of my technicians in Southern California, um, she, i say my she's part of our team, right? We work together as a big team across the state. But uh she was one of the students that um no joke, I'm we're doing this, I'm doing this lecture talking about all these interview techniques, I'm talking about networking, everything else, and she's back there scribbling all these notes down, scribbling all these notes it looks down. Like so I went he looks, like he, looks like he looks like Tom Cruise. He looks like Tom
3: Cruise. Does he have a wife? Does he have kids? No. It's yeah. genius. I we, we used to... It is
2: genius. Absolutely, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I agree with him on that because I'll i get invited back occasionally to U of A to speak on their uh, career panel for finance. And uh, I'm really close with one of the career coaches. And I'll go talk about like what I do for a living and all these things and like... They, we, you get the pick of the litter, like they come out and break out groups and they talk to you and you get, you know, they ask you questions and then some, most of them, a lot of them will email me. And I'm like, this is awesome. If somebody like that, I find in yep. this process, yep. isn't this? Uh, my question then though, for you is like, you talk about interview tips, like, can you give some listeners some interview tips? So let's say somebody wants to come work for sure. Kent here soon and wants to reach out to Kent or Travis or Travis yeah. or Travis, but if you're in you know, what what, what are some interview tips?
5: Um, so the big one, I'll, g- I'll give you two. Um, just because I don't want to go too far. <laughs> I want to bore you guys too much with rabbit hole with uh, interview tips. But um, I really like to use what they call the STAR method, which is yep. based on behavioral interview uh, process. You can look it up. You can Google it behavioral interview questions, behavioral interview process or system. But the STAR method is um, when, when you're asked a question, you think of a story or a, um, you think of a time when you highlight what the question is talking about, mm-hmm. right? I ask questions this way and I'll tell you by why in a minute, but basically you think of a situation, you think of the task that you had, the action that you took, and then the results that came from that action. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're laying out, Hey, I know how to do some things because I did, here's what was going on. This is what I needed to do. This is the action that I took. And these are the results that came out." And what's interesting, um, what people, uh, what I will tell people is that it doesn't always have to be a good outcome mm-hmm. right when you want to demonstrate what you did something that was supposed to happen but maybe you know so like a good example is like a conflict at work hey i had a conflict with a coworker. tell me about a time when you had a conflict with a coworker. oh well, here was the situation you know my task was to deal with this conflict here's the action i took right um and when it ended up happening well we just kind of went our separate ways the guy didn't listen to me you know and we just went about with the project or with whatever we needed to do so that's that's a really good way of showing like hey I took the right steps but sometimes it just doesn't work out your way it's okay the important part is the action that you took right and your analysis of how to get there so that's that's the part that a manager is going to look at obviously if you have a story where things went swimmingly that's what you should use but think of stories so that's the star method situation task action result I'm gonna throw- like to ask.
3: I'm going to throw a uh, an additional letter. So I'm I'm a big fan of the star method. That's mm-hmm. what was ingrained in me. And it, it, the worst is when you ask a question in an interview. And I've interviewed a handful of people in the past. It's like you know, tell me about your strengths. And it's like oh, I'm really strong in this. And it's like, well, how does that ap- how does that apply? So I do the star L method. What's the L? Learn. What did you learn from it? Mm-hmm. So it's it's results, and then how did you? Because like what Travis yep. just said is is you have your results of okay, like we went our separate ways. But then, what did you learn from that? It's like, right, okay, maybe connection. I can, maybe I can communicate a different way. Maybe I need to understand this a little bit more. Like, 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 even if it's a bad time, like, like, uh, it, people when people come in and they're like the rock star and they're like, oh, you know, I've never failed and all these things. I'm like, yeah, don't lie. Dude, that's I fail exactly forward. where I was gonna go. I was like, mm-hmm. show humility. Like, if
2: you can yeah, tell sure. a story where maybe it didn't go the way that you had planned it to go, and you can admit, like, I learned something from that. That is huge. I think that is absolutely huge. Yeah.
5: And sometimes it's with especially with younger people, they don't have a lot of work experience yet, right? So they're yeah. talking about the time they worked at Taco Bell or, you know, In and Out or whatever. And that's that's great. That that can be a really good experience. Again, we're we're trying to, you know, I say, you know, interview for aptitude, right? Not for skill sets. Interview for Correct. aptitude. Yep. And so Thank God.
2: Uh, that's so, a yeah. genius, so, right? So,
5: so anyways, uh, you wanna you wanna look at what their aptitude was and that's what you're testing in that. So my recommendation for you Connor on the other side of the table is when you're giving questions is ask them about a time. Don't ask them an open-ended question unless you really intend to do that to see where they're going with it. Yeah. Um, cause sometimes that's intentional. You want them, but what people will do is they will activate their creative brain and then they'll feed you a bunch of bullshit, right? I'm oh, sorry. Excuse my French. They'll, they'll feed you a bunch of crap, right? They'll just say, Oh, well, you know, if I have a conflict with my coworker, I'm going to call the president of the United States right away. And you go, really, man, you're really going to call the president of the United States or the president of the company, right? Something like that. You go, well, really, is that really what you're going to do is that they activate their creative brain and they give you a bunch of crap. Whereas if you look at their behavior in the past, um, there's a high probability that they're going to behave as in, uh, in the future as they have in the past, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why loud. I like to So the second be one that I'll give you this, um, that I really like is you end every question with, was that what you were looking for? And so the reason you do that is because if you're in an interview and somebody asks you about something and, and you answer that question and you go down, I'll call it rabbit hole A, right? And then you, at the end of that question, you go, is that what you were looking for? And the interviewer goes, well, no, I was hoping you could really tell me about this. You just bought yourself a second chance to answer that question. Now you can go right Fucking, down rabbit
2: fucking genius right there.
4: Is everyone yeah. who looks yeah. like Tom Cruise like a genius? I,
3: th- I think I think it is. I th- I think you're onto something. Here. I like this guy. Yeah, yeah, Travis
4: flies planes. He does helicopters. He rock yeah. climbs. I'm yeah. like
3: a, I'm a nerd yeah. about this stuff. I don't know why this geeks me out on like yeah. understanding because I I think it's so challenging to do interviews, but then psychology. also to yeah it's, yeah exactly it's psychology yeah I you're just we're all just trying to get down to like people that are like that we want to work with and and can do the job and help us out, but um I'm. Uh, the well, last
5: thing I'll say about interviewing is, so circling back to the networking thing, the best interview you can ever take is one where you walk in and you already know the panel of people that you're interviewing oh, mm-hmm. with. So that's why networking is so important, because you'll know, right, oh, I know what's important to Connor, that I talk about my behavior and I, I do star method. I know what's important to Kent, he really loves state plane coordinates, right? I know what's what's important to Mark, he really likes drones. So now I know the the hot button things that I can talk about, for each one of you and tell you about my experience or what I think about those different items and so that's the best interview you can ever do and the way you get there is by network
3: you know what's funny is I so I try to always do I, I've done so many interviews over the last three four years because I'm, I'm like three years out of college um, and I did a ton of interviews in college throughout that process and uh, I always tell people like make it a conversation back to Travis's point is, is like mm-hmm. you always spin it back to them. You ask them the question, you always talk to them because then you get that second chance of, of like where they're leading. I'd never thought about going, Hey, like, you know, is that what you're looking for? Unless I like really screwed up and I know it. I'm like, wait, what well, were you looking yeah. for? Something different. Um,
2: but again, I think it shows humility too. Yes.
3: Yeah. 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 That and it, it, like, have questions ready to ask like you should always ask a minimum of three questions at the end and the other thing is is it's going to sound really weird, so I'll creep on everything. I'll find, you know, I'll find out that Travis has a kid. He's on the board for the swim club. All these different types of things beforehand, and I will generate, and I hope people don't listen to this later on after I've done things, but, like, like I will then generate questions around that that are specific. I know what their answer is going to be, Yep. and then I push towards that answer again. So That's it's like, like...
4: What you're doing is networking, but using social media, public information to enhance your responses as if you had gone in a networking meeting with them. Like, uh, oh yeah, I was out walking, out, out
2: walking my Dalmatian. And they're like, oh...
4: Public media,
2: public media, or social media, oh, yeah. if you use it properly, mm-hmm. it puts you at such an advantage. It absolutely. really does. If you'll take the time to be a creeper as... Connor yeah, said. I joke. I mean, I, I mean, but I, I get that. But yeah, but you're, you're exactly right, man. You're data,
4: you're exactly right. yeah, are like, data yep. mining. It's
3: like you find out yep. that Travis data is mining, yep. from, yeah, Travis is from, went to Fresno State. And for me, like, I'm a big sports fan. So I would have, I would have asked him, I would have said, oh, lights are out.
5: Sorry, guys, my light goes off automatically after like three hours or something.
3: Oh, no. so I, so Sorry. I, That's a great segue. lights, light goes out. lights on, no one's home. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> those are one of like one of those things that like Fresno State, like how I've always approached this, I, so am a big sports fan. I'd be like, oh, you, you know, you like sports. I'd have a couple things. If he says no, then I would pivot to whatever yeah. the next thing yeah. is, but I'd be like, oh man, you've got Devonte Adams and Derek Carr playing together and Oakland now, like, and just kind of spend that all, I, I just, I find yeah. interviewing.
2: Well, them. no, it's connecting. It's all you're doing. Connecting. Right. Yeah, that's all you're right. doing is connecting. Because yeah. I also
3: want to like, I try to interview the interviewer because who yeah, wants who turn wants. the tables? Who wants to work for a pencil neck? Yeah,
2: <laughs> totally agree with that, man. I'd work totally totally for Travis. That. He's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> He's hey, I am not gonna argue. Do do? Not gonna argue. on the love. <laughs> yeah, baby. So I, I heard this quote the other day: uh "Higher attitude, train for skill." Yep.
5: Aptitude. Yeah. I call it aptitude, aptitude. yeah. Aptitude, yeah. It's not aptitude. Aptitude, yeah.
2: I wrote down aptitude. Always. aptitude, and I said attitude, yeah. No, always, because oh, so you can be sorry, trained. I
5: wrote down, I took a whole bunch of notes uh, based on what you guys told me, uh, prepping me for this, but I, I wrote down a quote that one of my professors used to use. He would say, attitude and aptitude takes you to the altitude.
1: Oh,
2: all right. I, like I that. love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of like so that hard, hard work. Te-
5: my wife teases down. me a lot all these cheesy phrases, but. I, lo- uh, I love cheesy no, phrases. Think, dude. I'm, I'm all about it. If you're, wait, so, what what if was that again?
2: Attitude and aptitude will take, you,
5: we'll to take you to the altitude.
3: So I have a, I have a, I have a theory, and I, I you can tell me if I'm wrong. You're uh, wrong. I you're would wrong. love. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah,
4: thank you. Next.
3: I would, I would love to hear what Travis's opinion on this. So, I, I personally believe, and I'm willing to come off this opinion, is that there's a baseline, uh, you know, IQ that you have to have in something, <laughs> a baseline knowledge. Okay.
4: Okay. Yeah, knowledge, not IQ.
3: Yeah. yeah, baseline knowledge in it. But av- other than that, I think it comes down to intellectual curiosity and horsepower. And don't be a pencil neck. But I think that those are the two factors. Do you agree with that? Like, What are your thoughts on that when you're hiring somebody or, or a good employee?
5: Yeah, so yes and no. Um, what, what I have found over time is that if you hire the same person oh.
1: mm-hmm. with
5: the same skill set, or sorry, the same aptitude, For every position you're filling, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Yeah, right. And that's, so if I hire somebody else that has a lot of the same attributes as I do, that can be good, Mm -hmm. but who's picking up the pieces that I'm not so good at? You know what I mean? Right. And so having that balance, but then also the other side is don't, don't load your deck with somebody that can't also compete with you, right? So yes and no. Um, What I tell the students, here's another interviewing thing. You know, as far as like skills, you know, I tell the students, don't worry about skill sets. You know, when, when they ask you about what's your experience with AutoCAD or with MicroStation or whatever the technology, technology, but, you know, push button is for them. You say, yeah, I have a familiarity with it. Or, oh, I barely, you know, be honest about what you know. I said, (laughs) because the reality is there are three ways to do things, right? There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the way your boss tells you to do it. So guess which one you're going to do.
2: uh Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting.
5: don't, don't get too wrapped up around whatever skill set is you think you need. Like if you can take a class or you can take, you know, to give yourself an advantage, that's awesome. Like don't, don't not do that, but also don't get wrapped up around whatever that skill set is because, you know, especially for the most part, you know, a, big, a bigger, medium-sized firm like ours, we're gonna train you on the stuff that we want you to know, right? We're gonna right. bring you in as an intern. We're gonna sit you down and go, here's AutoCAD. This is how we use it. Here you go, right? Here's the templates. Here's the, you know, all that nonsense, right? Um, it's not nonsense. It's, it's, it's a great, powerful technology, but you know, that's, that's the, that's the reality is that you're gonna, you're gonna get trained on the stuff that they need you to know. So, uh, so going back to your point, Connor, yes, horsepower can be great. Um, but the reality is like, not everybody can be that dominant. You know, they used to call it type A, right? Alpha, mm-hmm. whatever. Not everybody can be that. And if you have too many of those in one room, guess what? You're about to crash. Yep. Nothing happens. Right. Cause not everybody yep. can be that, that thing. The, the, the oh, big, I, I the look at
3: horsepower as like the, like the, the drive, the drive, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess, the, I guess yeah. like from like a, you know, willing to at least stay until past five, you know, it's not eight hours and I'm dipping, you know?
4: Yeah. So for, for me hiring and having gone through all the consultants and management firms that I worked for in the past, um, People would always hire to, oh, you've got a degree, you're from Oxford or whatever. You know, yeah. that had no value because they were so tied up in, well, I'm an Oxford or a Cambridge graduate. It was, again, back to the <coughs> aptitude. But the aptitude and drive are extremely important. But the challenge as an interviewer, having interviewed several hundred and hired several hundred people in my career, was not to be too likable. Because you end up as an interviewer making a concession because you really like that person, and then you try and justify why you're going to take a B-plus person and try and make them an A-plus person, and they can never be that. You have to hire... A hundred
5: percent. Yeah.
4: You have to hire an A-plus person, and if if I'm an A-plus person as an interviewee, I have to demonstrate the aptitude, the drive, the passion, the vim, the vigor and be excited to be there and not go through the machinations. And to your point, Connor, I really appreciate when someone interviews back to me, because I'm done in an interview in six minutes if they're not asking me questions or challenging. And yeah, I know it's just flying a drone, but what excites you about flying a drone? And what when they ask me, what What am I gonna do that's different from any other drone company? How are you going to help further me as a human being in the drone world? Yeah. And that's I'll hire them on the spot. What do you think, Travis?
5: So I think you're right. The one caveat I would add is that someone that is an A plus person that you're hiring may be an A plus person for this position, but not an A plus person for Correct. that position.
4: Yes. And so
5: that's that's where I, um, but I I have that I have that issue as well. Sometimes I see the good in people, so to speak. I see the potential in them. It doesn't matter like what walk of life or skill set or aptitude they have. I go, well, they have that piece. This is the piece that could be good, and so I have to. This is why I don't interview alone, right? I want to make sure that I have yeah. other people. We have a company policy, or at least within our division, we don't interview people alone. We always Smart. interview with two people's, so we can have a post op and go, hey, you know, how did that go? What did you think? Um, and bounce ideas off each other because otherwise you'll hire everybody, right? Like you, yeah. yeah, or I would, anyways. <laughs> right? I see the good in everyone. I, I want that person. I, you know, they could do this little piece for me. Um, so,
3: what what are the characteristics you look for in people?
5: It's a good question. Um, I look for, I do look for the inquisitiveness. I also just look for um, I don't know a general sharpness. I want somebody that's that is paying attention to the question, um, is processing the question as I asked it. I don't want somebody that is going to jump all over the question without thinking about it. Hmm. Right. So you saw me pause. That's another thing I so just, well, you're gonna get them all out of me then. Okay. Yeah, pregnant pauses. So, yeah. So I like when people take pauses. Right, so you asked me that question. I kind of, I kind of took a minute, right, and I, I thought about what I wanted to say, and then I turned it back on, turned it back to you. I prefer somebody that wants to take a second and think about their question and then answer it for me, instead of somebody that just starts vomiting it, you know, vomiting words out of their mouth and none of it makes any sense and it's buzzwords and nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. That person, but we have, especially now in society, um, based on some figures public figures in our society everybody wants somebody to sort of talk off the cuff right and so that's not always the best case scenario right it's i tell i tell students it's okay to say let me think about that for a minute and then take a second think about what you want to say and then say right because an answer and it's also okay to say you know i don't know that's okay too because if you make an answer up and interview right mark you'll Mm -hmm. smell bullshit a mile away when they Mm -hmm. start just right putting stuff out there and so, for,
4: for our jobs, we need more technical application. I don't want an off-the-cup person that's flying by the seat of the pants. <coughs> no pun intended. It, that's, that's your guy that wants to go get a marketing job. Yeah. Right? You're, <laughs> you're dealing with engineering, and you're ha- having to handle engineers, and you have to defend your position on why this result was this result. You've got to be clear, concise, and confident in what you're saying. Correct. Tra- yeah. Travis, let me ask you this. I mean, you and I are
2: kind of the same boat. <coughs>
4: From a hiring perspective,
2: we're looking for those A-plus people, right? We've got our, uh, what we know we're looking for, but there's such a shortage of people that we're looking for. All yep. of a sudden, C-plus people start looking good. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you handle yep. that situation? Train them up.
5: You, you have to make sure that you set your expectations correctly, right? Yeah, and you also have to make sure that you're setting them. So something that's very uncomfortable that can be very uncommon, um, is people will hire for this position, find somebody and say, well, I'll make it work. Right. Mm-hmm. When they should be going, maybe this person is better for this position and that will add value to my organization also. Right. It's analyzing exactly what position you're hiring for and whether you have room at a different level for that person. Um, so that can be a big part of it and then again it, it rolls back to the aptitude thing like is there enough aptitude there for me to train this person and move them? sorry i use it a lot i know I'm sort of sound like a broken record but is there enough aptitude there for me to train that person up to eventually be in that position or does, do i need to just walk away
4: does it frustrate you when you go to starbucks and you look at all the youth of tomorrow And they're glassy-eyed, and they look like a a doe in the headlights, and there's just no life behind the eyes. Does that frustrate you, or is that just a phenomenon for me when I'm in Starbucks?
5: No, it's, yeah, I know where you're coming from. So, I'm a, you know, when I first got out of college, everybody was complaining about the millennials, right? Yeah. And I technically fall just inside the millennial.
3: I'm not a millennial, God.
5: Yes. So... I technically fall just inside that ca- that category, but I act more like whatever the generation was before that, Z or whatever. Um, and, either, and they joke with me at work that I'm an 80 year old man inside. But so I have some boomer aspects to awesome. as well. So
4: damn, you're so hot for an 80 year old Tom Cruise.
5: <laughs> thank you, thank you.
4: Please don't uh, interrupt them. God, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I can get away with that one. That's a compliment.
5: Oh god, that's so funny. Mark can edit it if it's uh, if it's too much. Uh, no. <laughs> it's uh, so so one of the things you know everybody's complaining about oh my gosh millennials this millennials that they you know they have all these problems they want to be the top of their their class immediately as soon as they you know graduate all this other stuff right or the top of the they want to be you know VP but in, in three years and all that kind of stuff because right?
4: they want a participation award
5: yes and there's and, and there's some valid there's some valid you know issues there from the from the sort of the baby boomer and the Gen Y or whatever they are. Gen, Gen's, I don't know. I get, I get lost track of all these generations. But from that perspective, there is some valid, you know, criticism of that generation. But also, there's two things to think about. Um, you know, the this younger generation that's coming along behind, uh, whereas like, you know, that we always hear the statistic about most most likely to stay at home and live on their mom's couch. They're also like at a, an alarming rate, alarming rate, most likely to start their own business. Right. More so than the boomer generation or the other generations before. So it's kind of this strange dichotomy where it's like, well, they're they're more likely to do this, but they're also likely to do that. So that's interesting. Um, and then the other thing that I tell people is, um, hey, guess what? Uh, we're all in the same boat and we're all dealing with the same generation of kids. So figure it out, right? Like mm-hmm. get tough or die, boomers. Like you got to have to, this is the generation that's coming along behind. You got to figure it out. That's just the reality and figure out what, and so this is what I talk about too. Also, a lot of times is you need to figure out the things that um, will send them, right? We, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, uh, so I know you guys have mantras at the ends, but this is, this is one of the other things I heard. The golden rule is not always the right way. And, it, and it's not always applied the right way. Right. What would have spoke to you as a, as an older person and an older generation may not be the same things that speak to these young kids. Right. And so, um, you need to find that thing that speaks to them. You need to figure out where they are at where they're at, you know, meet and you know, this the other meet them where they're at, right, find out where they're at and figure out how to meet them there. Uh, one of the great things that I heard at the conference Kent actually was um, a friend of mine from uh, Sonoma County, um, Aaron Smith, God bless him, he, he did a presentation about business and stuff and one to end about hiring and those types of things. And when he one of the things he said is, you know, I don't, I don't believe in salary. And we all kind of what does that mean? And he said, I believe in compensation. And I thought that was a very mm-hmm. interesting, you know, it's a little wordsmithing, but it's a very interesting concept. Like, maybe these it. kids are not going to be, you know, the older generation, it was like, man, how many hours can I put in? How much can I get? Right. How, how much time can I put down on my time card so that I could get ahead? Right. This newer generation is more interested in, Hey, so if I work for, you know, three months straight, and never take a day off. Can I take two weeks off? Yep. Right. Can I go to Europe? Can I go to Australia? Can I, you know, do those types of things? Um, yep. Aaron was talking about one of his employees that was uh he's like really into bike race, uh, cycling, right. And cycling races. And so Aaron sponsored him. He bought him a Jersey and a helmet and you know, you know, and then the guy asked for a bike and he said, no thanks. But <laughs> like that, you know, you gotta find those things that, that speak to them. And I just, there's no way around it. You're not going to change that generation. You're not going to change the generation. You need to figure out how to operate within that.
4: that, and, that and that's a very fair statement to try and operate within their means. But uh, you know, I'm 53 and I was brought up just like you were probably that one is acknowledged for your accomplishments, your drive, your participation, your value. And we don't see that today. There's a an expectation by the and I'm not ragging on people that are listening that are in college or whatever. But I look at my two boys who've been founded with my my father and his standards and my standards. I get up at 430. I put in. 59 and a half minute hour, you know, I'm not trying to make myself out to be great. But the kids today want to do as little as possible for the maximum rate of return. But that doesn't add to the growth of a company. It doesn't push a company forward. There's not this groundswell. And I I take umbrage with the society of today that accepts that because we had the industrial revolution we've had all these revolutions of our company where we've spearheaded the technological revolution and nobody's encouraged to those minimum standards of i appreciate i'm paid for an 8-hour day i'm going to put in 7 hours and 59 minutes mm-hmm. and does that make sense and and yeah the, so how we meet them at that level means as a nation, we're going to have a GDP that's in the minus. Is this where is this where like culture comes in? Yeah,
5: it's a little bit what we're talking is, about. Yeah, this is a big cultural conversation. So, um, I like to listen to. Um, I, I don't spend a lot of time listening to his videos and things, but Simon Sinek, you guys, I love him. Simon. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he talks about explaining to these young people the why, and that that a lot yep. of times is mm-hmm. what will drive them. And I found that to be true, maybe not as much as you might want, Mark, but right, <laughs> I no. found that to be true, that um, if you explain to these kids the big picture, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's a balancing act, right, I, I will admit. If you explain to these kids the big picture as to why they're doing what they're doing, they will they will get energy from that, and they will right. get drive from that, yep. um, and they will feel like they are accomplishing something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of Simon Sinek's videos that I always thought was really funny was he talked about how somebody was quitting his his company and he asked him why he goes well i don't feel like i've made an impact and he goes you've been here six months six months that's it me and so how can you make an impact in six months you barely got your feet underneath you right Mm -hmm. and so um so that's that's where you know that was where there was sort of a for lack of a better word a failing right where that that guy, person, kid, whatever they want to call them, didn't understand where they were making an impact, right? Right. Didn't understand how they were making an impact. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the I think that's one, it's a puzzle for sure, right? I mean, every new generation is a puzzle. But I think that's one of the big pieces that puzzle is hey, you know, how am I making that impact? You know, help help me understand that.
4: Yeah, I I want anybody that works with us to do it, do it differently, figure out we've all got the same mousetrap, right? And I don't care if they get do A, B, C, and D all the way through to Z, or go A, G, F, and L, and M, and get to Z. As long as the result's the same, but I want their result to be better than what it was handed to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try and encourage my team to do. And it, uh, I s- seem to be attracted to older people to join me than people Connor's age. So just just want because to sit you have the that, couch.
2: you have that great accent. Like, I, like if you offer me a job, <laughs> I would probably accept it just really? because I like the way you talk. Yeah. Oh
4: well, thank you. You're v- very sweet, but I wouldn't hire you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're a
3: C-plus employee at best <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Talk about a 759 It's more like oh, 659 awesome.
4: yeah. Have you seen his disc profile, Travis? Jesus Christ Yes.
3: Oh I mean, God. I get I get it I, I understand where you're coming from I think that that's a challenge that I have with individuals All the time uh, Especially around my age So I'm, I'm a Gen Z Like the first year into out of millennium Wait, what's going to happen millennial. after Gen
4: Z? A.A.? We're back to A's. We're all screwed. Oh,
2: good God.
3: Yeah, I have no idea. I'm just not a millennial. I know that much. Uh, <laughs> but I'm in this, like, a weird, like, I think there should be a middle ground for us. Like, because I didn't Who's grow up. Who's
4: going to give you that middle ground? Do you have to take it, buddy?
3: No, I know. But but there's a couple years of where, like, I didn't grow up with a smartphone for a handful. Like, the the difference between your two daughters, what are they, two years apart, right? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm and your oldest daughter probably got a smartphone in sophomore year freshman year of high school while you or you're, or before. Or be, oh really? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my parents were just different then. Uh but then yeah. like y- her, your youngest got it w- way sooner from yeah. a, oh, yeah. from yeah, a that's smartphone bad. perspective. Yeah, that's bad. And they had Google so like I was on that cusp of like not having anyways. I'm in a weird dichotomy where it's like I get it A lot of people say like, oh, like you've got to earn it. And I agree with that statement. But sometimes I feel looked down upon for my age, for the value and the skills and the time that I put in because they go, oh, you're just one of them again. And it's like, no, give me a second to show you what I've done. Let me
2: tell you this. I mean, and, and you have changed my opinion about this, to be honest with you. The exposure that I've had to people at the company that I currently work at that are your age or below I am blown away to be honest with you. I'm just like, they just want to learn. You just want like you want to learn. Mm. You want to exceed you want to exceed expectations. I mean, I, and I was guilty of probably putting people into a negative category, but not anymore. I'm just like, I have to adapt to them, to be honest with you, to get the most out of these people.
4: Um, they see it, you as a father figure. They want to earn daddy's respect. Do you
2: think that's what it is?
3: I'm pretty sure of it. No, no, it's it's actually. I, don't, don't don't disagree no. with my uh, theory. Yeah. Well, no, I look at this and Travis Travis hit it uh, perfectly um, with the with the Simon is Like the why behind. Like if you tell me the why behind something, Correct. I'm way more likely to do that. Even if it's yep. let's call it data entry, okay. If you tell me Did the you why, say daddy entry? No, data. Oh, data entry. Data entry, yeah. like a simple task that is for what what people would say interns is like. I I don't care. I, I like like if you give well, me. Well, you've f-
2: been working with interns. Yeah, and but, you're you're seeing it. I mean, you're like, yeah. how old are you? Twenty six. Twenty six, and you're working with twenty like, year olds.
3: Yeah, so yeah. you're seeing it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And like, like I, we, uh, before even this, like I was managing more interns than that. And it's one of those things where like, I give them the, why I explain what's going on, like all these things. And like, cause that's what makes me tick is I'm, I'm willing to s- understand the bigger piece. This isn't just me. Just it's not busy work. It's not school anymore. It's a job and it needs to get done. Um, but at the same time, like the the curiosity is not because it's oh I want to please daddy, you know, all these things. No, like no, no, what no, Mark's no. saying is like it's like I want to learn, I want to understand, I wanna grow because what we've been taught in society is that these people with the gray hair have a lot of knowledge. So let me go gain that knowledge so I don't have to relearn it all myself. That's that's how I look at it. It's easier to learn it from you than go figure it out myself, at the school of hard knocks.
5: Yeah. yeah. You keep your hair that way. Is that what you're trying to
2: say? <laughs> yeah. So I I, let me just piggyback on this because I am going to humble myself here, <clears throat> me being 55 years old, just because I don't have gray hair. I'm very blessed genetically. Um, I have been humbled by the younger people that I have brought on board to my team because, I mean, first of all, mentoring is a two-way street. You yeah. know, it's like I bring them on. Like I want to mentor them to, uh, you know, up, 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 up to where I am, whatever. But I mean, and I, I, I think we talk about it all the time. It's like, it's a two-way street, but it's like you have to – allow yourself to listen to what they're saying as well and accept what they're saying and, and adapt accordingly. Um, uh-huh. You know, I mean, that generation is just its so powerful, to be honest with you. There's just so much knowledge. there. There's so much further advanced, like a 21-year-old right now, is mm-hmm. so much further advanced than I was at 21 years old. It's, it's incredible. I mean, and you have to adapt to that, and you have to be willing to adapt to that.
5: I- yeah, it's one of the cool things that I think about this upcoming, you know, couple generations. That's really interesting. It's also something that can be very dangerous. But one of the things that I think is really cool is they are so willing to And it just bear with me for a minute. They're so willing to punch the button and see what happens.
2: Right. Totally. Right? Totally.
5: They are so willing to do that. What's going to happen? Right. Whereas the older generation I have found a lot of times they will go, "Whoa, Whoa, whoa don't press that button yet. Do you know what's going to happen? And a lot of times the younger generation like, no, but let's find out. And they're like, well, but it might go wrong. Yeah, it might, but let's figure it out. That's such a powerful tool sometimes. Yes. Right. It's, it's a powerful tool to go. Did that work? Yes or no. Then what you have to make sure you watch is that you have the other side of it of like, okay, what results came out of that? And am I, do I have enough experience, right. To understand what those results are telling me. And that's where the older generation can come in and help you really understand that. Right. But um, I, that's been a really eye-opening thing for me. Sometimes working with all sorts of different people at my company, where it's like, "Oh, this person is scared to press the button to see what see what happens," and this guy over here will press buttons all day long, but he doesn't know what he has no yeah. idea what it's telling you, right? And Travis, so-
2: I could not agree with you more. It's like yeah. it's like that they're they're so willing to go outside their comfort zone,
5: yes. which
2: I freaking love. I mm-hmm. love that.
3: What's well, a confidence? Yeah. At least for me, like like yeah. I, and I, I border on cockiness sometimes on it, but like it's a confidence of like, okay, I screw it up. Like it ain't life or death really unless I'm a heart surgeon. Um, I'll figure it out. Like I'll put in the time and the effort to figure it out if I screw something up. But if I don't screw it up and I think that it's going to go the way that I do, then, you know, I just found a way to but, be but more efficient.
4: But that's why yeah. you're a one percenter. Yeah, yeah, you are. That's exactly right. You, you absolutely are, mate. And that's what I look for uh, more and more because I – I teach at a couple of schools, and you just you you want the very best for them, and uh, it's just I, I wish I saw more drive and determination because at least you're trying to fail to get better, mm-hmm. and I just don't, in my experience I just don't see a lot of that, and um, you know it's that it, there is that willingness there, but um, I don't know I'm I'm still probably too stodgy and old school, and um, but I would like to see more. Uh, more passion and drive from the people that i'm introduced to they'll
3: fail to get better fail forward
4: yeah fail forward yeah. let's say the, well, way the
3: thing knows. is is like travis challenges it sounds like travis would be a, a manager that is supportive but also challenges his people and like i think that some of my generation and i had to learn it real quick when i first started my career is like just because you challenge me, I, it, don't take it personal. Like, I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. Like, right. it's one of those things where challenge me so I can get better. And some of the, I, I think that we we sometimes get caught up in that. Um, that's like, yeah. oh, well, Travis told me I didn't do a good job. And just that throws me off, like, for a whole day. I'm like, no, put it in yeah. a box. Understand what he's saying. Move on. Totally from yeah. it.
5: The other thing that I, co- when I talk to older people, one of the things that I coach them on, too, is like, hey, when that young person, you think they're challenging you, they're probably just trying to understand. They're right. probably not. Ch- I mean, there are a few that are, right? There are a few that are like, hey, look, I know better than you, man. Like, I don't yeah. care how many years experience you. But <laughs> yeah, the we're we're
4: just that, not communicating to them correctly.
5: Yeah, sometimes it's just them going like, hey, I, I want to understand. That was something I struggled with early on in my career was, you know, my my first mentor, well, he and I had to like figure out how to talk to each other, right? Because I would be like, Hey, I got a question, you know, well, how can we do it that way? Or how can we, and he's like, look, man, I've been doing this for 30 years. Are you going to do what I'm going to tell you to do? Right. Yeah. I go, no, 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 I'll do it. I promise you, I will do exactly what you tell me to do. I just want to understand why we're doing it. Right. Exactly. Right. How can why how yes. can we yes. do it This other way. Right. Yeah. And, and what we're, and, and as mentors and stuff too, we have to be willing to say, you know, as someone that's now developing into a mentor, um, uh, you have to be able to say, Hey, sometimes I don't know. Right. I don't know. I know this way works, you know, as I've gotten further in my career, I I'll do, I will tell employees like, Hey guys, I, I got a way. I, I like to do things because I feel comfortable with it. Try it my way for a little while. And then if you see things that we can improve on, then I want to hear about, it. I do. Right. I definitely, but I'd like you to try it for my way for just for a little while and see how it goes. And then, and then when you see something that we're doing that we could be doing better, let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. Right. Hmm. Um, so so th- there's a balance there, right? And like you said, can mentoring is two-way street, right? The other thing I coach people is, you know, and this is, again, part of networking, don't just have one mentor. Have many mentors. Yes. Have yes. many mentors. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Right? Yeah. Develop relationships with people that you can call. You know, I was on a project down in the Central Valley. It was 105, and I had this map that I was supposed to be working off this control that was on a published record survey, and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, crap, I need to call somebody. So I called my boss. I said... Hey man this is not making sense to me. And he said, "Yeah, you know what? We need a second opinion, who can you call?" I said, "Oh, that's brilliant, right?" So I I reached went through my Rolodex on my BlackBerry at the time. Could you please they, describe like
4: what a Rolodex is for other people? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I know what it is. Or a BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah, or a BlackBerry. Yes. Yeah.
5: When I first came to Mark Thomas, they made fun of me because I had a BlackBerry. And then I asked for another one. The BlackBerry was—you're was, super hey, cool now in the, my
2: book. The BlackBerry was
5: genius.
4: Oh, it was. I still yeah. have one, in it's box ready to go when I go to Mars.
5: Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on that
4: Blue Origin flight to Mars. That's me. There you go. Yeah, it'll work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just like the
5: old Motorola phones. It can work on the face. I used to joke that Motorola phone—you get signal on the face of the moon, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, I, I called somebody and I said, hey, man, I got this map. Um, can you look it up real quick? And he looked at it and I said, am I seeing this? Like, this is what I'm seeing, right? This is, and he said, yeah, that's what I see. I said, okay, cool. So I'm not like losing my mind here. And he goes, nope, yeah, I think you got it right. If something's not working out right, you need to try something different. And we talked about a couple of things we could try. But having having more than one mentor to turn to, because not, you know, the one that you work with every day is going to be an expert in a lot of different things, but he may not be an expert in everything, right? nobody's an expert in everything. Right. So having multiple mentors to be able to ask, I got called about doing a bathy survey project one time. And I went, I know a guy that does that. And I called him up on the phone and he said, yeah, let me tell you all about bathy surveys, blah, blah, blah. And I said, "So stay
4: within your lane.
5: Yeah, but it's, it's stay within your lane, but it's also be willing to ask other people. Right. Right. About that other lane, right. That lane adjacent. Right. And get some information and some knowledge about that. So that's uh, so why I say have more than one mentor, and that goes back to part of being
4: networking. The, the thing I like when you bring up Bathy surveys, the thing I like about my job is I get my number one question is, can a drone do that? Yeah. That's, by the way, my Urkel voice. And you, you're like, well, I don't know, but let me find out. But the education that I get is the understanding of the questions I have to ask, not necessarily the information I'm going to get but learning what questions I need to ask to get the end result for the client. And that's been a huge growth factor for me since I got into the drone business. It's been awesome.
2: So, Travis, I I, I know you got to get going here soon. We've, We've kept you for far too long, but we could probably talk for another couple hours. Okay. Yeah. So we got, we're going to have Travis back. I have a new man crush. It's not
4: you, Mark. It's Travis. That's fine. Because what is it? Maverick 2? When's that come out, bud? It's out. Oh, I, th- I think it's no. out. My white no, 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 no. Maverick's out, but Maverick 2. <laughs> yeah. When are you doing that one?
5: They haven't called me yet.
4: Oh, because it'll be F-35s this time, right? Not F-16s. All I or something better. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. what we're going to do is Space we're going to have Force.
3: Travis and the Garrison, uh, Charlie Garrison, over here, oh, yeah. and, oh, and God. it's going to be quite the night.
2: Oh, yeah. good yeah. lord! We know we just have Travis to come on our trip with us to Texas. Yeah, and, Texas. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to do that for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so like this is like rapid fire questions. Now, are you ready?
1: Okay.
2: Uh, what makes a surveyor or perspective surveyor marketable?
5: The ability to learn.
2: Ability to learn. I like that. Um, So you're passionate about promoting the survey profession. What is the most effective way to do so?
5: So a couple of things. I think we need to be getting into high schools earlier with, we used to take aptitude tests, Mm -hmm. right? So I'll tell you a funny story real quick here. Uh, When I was in high school, I took an aptitude test where they took us to the computer lab.
4: Oh my (laughs) God. Did you use an abacus?
5: And they said, sit down <laughs> on this computer. This is a program. It's an aptitude test. It asks you all these different questions. You filled it all out. And at the end of it, it spit out, this might be a good job for you. Right. Yes. So at the time I'm in high school, I know nothing about surveying. Guess what I got? Forrester. <laughs> close. Forrester. It's close. Forrester. It's close. So close, right? Mm-hmm. How many surveyors do you know that started out? Yes. Of I met yes. so many. Right? Yep. And it's like, how come surveyor wasn't on that list? Right? They don't know. But, and then I looked at the, like you will make this many dollars a year. And I was like, Oh, I'm not doing that. So that's, and then I ended up on engineer, but, um, and then eventually back to serving. So that's, but I think that's one of the big things that we can do. I think, um, to be honest guys, this things like this, right. This is really, really important. Um, we, the next generation, we've tired all this generation stuff. They consume content and, and information way different than they ever have in the past. Right. They're not buying magazines. They're not, They're consuming information on the internet through podcasts, right? All these types of things. So things like this are crucial for that because this is what's going to get the word out. You know, somebody, oh, you should listen to this podcast. These guys are funny. They have a lot of fun on their podcast, and they talk about really cool stuff that they do. Um, So my challenge to you guys is the next next thing is you got to have visuals, right? You got to have like let me show you cool pictures on let me show you cool diagrams and things about the projects that we're working on. So.
2: We've got some really cool stuff in the works, like video day in the life. And I'm like, I shouldn't talk about this right now, but I'm going to. Uh, Do you remember the show MTV Cribs? Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
2: It was genius, right? Yeah. We're going to do Geo Cribs where we're going to go and visit surveyors' houses because surveyors love to talk about their yard and their toys and their (laughs) hot wife and their dog and all this stuff. It's going to be incredible. Big things coming
5: I can't up. Wait, I can't wait. So I what I start with Mark. What yes.
2: <laughs> no, he's he's like third on the list. Perfect. What what, what excites I don't you I'm not most sure that. what excites you most about the land survey profession moving forward?
5: So I think what excites I mean, the things that I'm excited about going forward are trying to develop the next generation. That's always been something that I like I like teaching. Um when I graduated from college it was 09, right? And so it was a lousy time. So I went back to school back to school right I, I worked on a graduate degree for a while while I was there I was teaching you know I was I was covering classes. basically I was covering classes so that my professors could teach me. Um, so a lot of the undergrad classes so that's always been a passion of mine is trying to develop and train the next generation. Um, I'm I have a role at Mark Thomas you know we have a seller doer model so one of the things I'm passionate about now is um, is marketing surveying right and going out and, and making new client connections and meeting people. that's one of the things I really like to do. And then I like meeting the next generation to see what that's what that's in in store for us. So those are the things I'm passionate about. And technology applications. I I love technology. I love seeing it. I love, like I said, putting all the pieces together and then hit the button, turn the key, whatever you want to say and seeing it all come together. That's that's it. So I can't wait to see what that next thing is. Right. You know, we've had mobile scanning and drones and we've got all this other cool, you know, GPS. When I was in college, that was like the hot, you know, scanning was just starting to come in. So I can't wait to see what the next cool thing is, you know.
2: That's so awesome. So you mentioned the mantra question earlier. Do you have a mantra that you live by or do we, do we uh, already, do we already? Have I them? have,
5: well, I have a whole list. You guys want on my list? Yes. Just
2: your, your top one, your top one.
5: Okay. I'll give you my top one. So I'm a boy scout. I'm an Eagle scout. So be
2: prepared. wow, dude, I just fell in love with this guy even more.
5: I know yeah. he's like, so So be prepared. Um, one of the, I'll tell you a couple of cool ones that I've heard. My friend Maddie, who's a, one of my teammates um, here at Mark Thomas, um, she has, she taught me kill them with kindness, kill them with kindness.
2: I right? use it every day.
5: Yeah. It's sometimes you have to, right. Especially when you're dealing with people that you really don't want to deal with. Um, and then the one that she's come up with this year, her, her the mantra that I've kind of adopted as well is radical acceptance, radical acceptance, like accept it where you are right now and just move on from there. Right. A radical acceptance. It is what it is. Let's, let's make the best of it. So.
2: Nice. So it's official. I have a new man crush.
4: It's not you, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> You've been replaced. You've been replaced. Fine. I will concede to a better man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill him in the pumpkin. Oh, God. That's so funny.
2: All right. So that's all I've got. You guys got anything more? I think we put a bow on it. Yeah, yeah, I know Travis has got to get going here. So yeah, let, let's let's awesome. get through this He's real got work. bigger items to Yeah, he's got swim down.
4: team stuff to get to. Um, drink, yeah. let, anything else? Final words, Mark? No, uh Travis was kind and answered all my questions and allowed me to interrupt at appropriate times. So <laughs> yes. appreciate
3: that? Yes. <laughs> oh, I love everything about
4: that. Connor, how about you, my
2: friend?
3: <laughs> no, I I enjoyed our time. It was
2: it was fantastic, absolutely. So Travis, you have the last word. Anything else we haven't talked about that you might want to get out there? No, I just want to say
5: thanks so much guys for doing this. Thanks for having me on. First off, that's, this is amazing. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. your guys' podcast. Um, you know, I've been recycling back through episodes and uh, looking for people I know and friends and things that you guys have interviewed and stuff. So that's kind of fun for me. Um, but I really want to say thank you so much for doing this because, again, I think this is really important. Things like this are really important for our next generation of, of folks that are coming along for our profession in general. So... Thank, Thank you, you so much for doing it.
2: Hey, I, I appreciate the kind words and I'm so glad that we got to meet in uh, in Vegas a few months ago. Um, yeah. And I have a feeling there's going to be many more future conversations. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. All right. Cool,
4: guys. Cheers. Here we go. Take care.
2: There you have it, folks. Adding value and making friends. That's what we do here at the Geoholics. We do indeed. Thanks to our loyal friends of the program, just like Carlson Software for believing in us. Be sure to mention you're a Geoholic and you reach out to any of our friends friends of the program for exclusive listener promotions. Download the Geoholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com We have a fucking app. Did you know that, Taylor?
4: I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. Not just
3: an app, a fucking app. A fucking app.
2: Send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com If you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show, we'd love to hear from you. Last but not least, pay it forward. Add value, make friends. Drink more liquid death. DMV every day. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Go out and achieve some goals, goddamn it! And most importantly, be safe and healthy. Right. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program: Advanced Geodetic Survey (AGSGPS.com), Airworks (airworks.io), Bad Elf. Bad-elf.com. Cyanic Automation, get Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com. Extreme Aerial Productions, Extreme Aerial Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, LCprep.com. Northstar Surveying, NorthstarSurveying.com, ProStar Corporation, ProStarCorp.com, Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us, TopoDot, New.Certainty3D.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial Geospatial.Trimble.com.